Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome everyone to our Aliyah today. Glad that you're with me. Preferably we'll have uh, better service from our uh, internet today, Baruch Hashem. Uh, we won't have to resort to the uh, podcast as we had to do yesterday for whatever reason, having so many problems. Apologize for that. Good to have everybody with us. Glad you were here. Hadassah Bauer from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, our our, our uh, Tulsa Lapidnik there. Welcome, Lynn. Welcome, Stephanie from California, watching all the way from uh, the wonderful state of California. Gianna from Kansas. Elvra, welcome, Elvra. Maria, North Carolina, love North Carolina. Spent spent some time there myself. Azariah, one of our local uh, Shalomis. Diane Bloom, glad you are here. Shoshana, Yiska, Yiska from beautiful Florida, where the weather is always nice, unless there's a hurricane, in which case, maybe not so much, but otherwise, good. Devorah from Shreveport, Louisiana. My family uh, comes from southern Louisiana. Celia, another uh, Shalomi local. Hadass, Elizabeth, all of our local Shalomis here. Keturah, Hadassah, my little daughter Hadassah. Regina, Shoshana, my wife, Levatu, Jatois Laton. Brukashem, Georgia, from Ontario, Canada, watching all the way from T- Ontario, Canada. Raphael Groff, glad to have the Groffs back. Glad that y'all uh, made it home safely. And uh, John, watching from India, good to see you, John. Good evening to John in India. And uh, of course, we have, oh, look, Mazel is here. Mazel is here as well, one of our, another local uh, Shalomi, and uh, Gavriel from Gavriel uh, from uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Forgive me if I'm not um, from Germany. Watching from Germany this morning, I suppose I should say good evening to you from Germany. That is uh, what a blessing. It's amazing to have everybody with us. Uh, Patricia, welcome. Another uh, local Shalomi. Um, it is <laughs> just great to have everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. We are in the uh, fifth reading of our parasha this morning, parasha Vayera, uh, getting right into so many good things. There's so much to cover. And as I frequently say, we have um, we have more content than we have time. And I say that, someone say, well, why don't you take more time? I'm telling you right now, if we had a three-hour class, we would not be able to cover all everything in a week. Welcome, Andrew. Good to see you. Uh, where are you from, Andrew? Remind me again. I forgot what state you're from. Um, Baruch Hashem, if you get a chance, let us know. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we are in chapter 21, the fifth Aliyah. Uh, begins in uh, verse 5. And so, uh, yes, Andrew from Virginia, welcome. And welcome, Avaro. All right, chapter five or chapter 21, rather, verse 5 says, And Avraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Whoever hears will laugh for me. The promise of Isaac being born has just occurred. We're going to prayerfully come back to that because um, there's a connection here, believe it or not, between the birth of Isaac and the virgin birth. It's very much a similarity. 
Um, I think there's a, a note from I, I glance over here because I think there's a note from the Kehil Tumash about that. Um, yep, there is. In fact, I see it. So we're going to come back to that in a second. All right. <clears throat> and Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So you think to yourself, we're too old to have another child. That's exactly what Abraham and Sarah said. And uh, who is the one who said to Abraham? I said in the synagogue one time, I said, uh, you know, may you, there's women here who are older and they're going to have a child. And I was, I was being tongue in cheek anyway. And some lady laughed. I said, Sarah laughed too. Sarah would nurse children, for I have born a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. Sarah saw the son Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. So she said to Abraham, drive out this slave woman with, with her son, for the son of that slave woman shall not inherit with my son, with Isaac. The matter greatly distressed Abraham regarding his son, so... God said to Abraham, be not distressed over the youth of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you, heed her voice. Since who Isaac will also be considered yours. The commentators bring down that between the two, between Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was actually the greater. In fact, there's a comment in one of the ancient commentaries that Sarah was actually a great saint very godly woman, and that's why um, Abraham married her. So God is saying here, listen, whatever she tells you to do, do. Why? Because she's hearing from the Ruach HaKodesh. There is a reason behind the proverbial madness. But the son of the slain woman as well will I make into a nation, for he is your offspring. So there is a blessing upon Ishmael, so not to worry. Verse 14. <clears throat> so Abraham awoke early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. She placed them on her shoulder along with a boy and he sent her off. She departed and strayed in the desert of Beersheba. When the water of the skin was consumed, she cast off the boy beneath one of the trees. She went and sat herself down at a distance and some uh, bow shot away for she said, let me, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat at a distance, lifted her voice and wept. And one time I was listening to one of those uh, Bibles on CDs many, many years ago. Now it's probably a Bible on podcast. But in any case, it's Bible on CD back then. And um, it, it, during this scene, it was, it, it was you had a little bitty baby crying in the background, like a little infant crying in the background. And I just wanted to point that out because in this case, um, Ishmael is not an infant. He's a teenager. Uh, he's a teenager at this point. He's an old. He's a young man, anyway. And so, uh, this is not when when she's talking about the child. She's talking about you know her her basically her grown son for all intents and purposes. So it says um, somebody asked who was a uh, Yara. Yara asked what was uh, Sarah's problem. Well, one of the commentators say that when it says that he she saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian mocking. One of the interpretations of that in some of the ancient commentary is that uh, that uh, either Ishmael was doing bad, was picking on him, or some say was attempting to molest Isaac in some way. There was some type of issue 
that had come. So it was a little bit deeper than just jealousy, but she was seeing some bad traits develop in Ishmael. Verse 17 says, God heard the cry of the youth and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heeded the cry of the youth in his present state. Arise, lift up the youth and grasp her hand upon him, for I'll make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she perceived a well of water. Now this well of water being talked about here was a miraculous well. In fact, it says that this is a well that had actually been there the entire time. And this was the same well that would follow us around uh, the wilderness during our stay in the bombing bar. And so this is a supernatural well. And, and, and basically what we learn is that this well that followed us around the bombing bar was actually Mashiach. Now this is also the idea within Yiddishkeit that it's Mashiach. So her eyes were open so that she could see Mashiach. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the youth to drink. She drank from the well. She drew water with joy from the wells of Yeshua, to quote Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3. Perhaps this is why many of the commentators, in fact, most of them agree that she is in fact Keturah. Perhaps she had gone through conversion already, but when she partook, I'm just, this is just theory, but when she partook of the waters of Yeshua, her, con her conversion was made, no pun intended, but deeper, perhaps more sincere maybe, to the extent that it caused a change of name. So it says God was with the youth and he grew up. He dwelt in the desert and became an accomplished archer. He was the first Robin Hood. He lived in the desert of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. All right, that's the end of our reading. And um, let's get to a few insights here. I want to go back to a few things, just quickly try to quickly cover a few things from Ma'am Loez. I love Ma'am Loez. It says here, um, it's an interesting insight. Uh, let's see how this starts. Talking about Sodom. <clears throat> talking about why Sodom needed to be destroyed. And so it says um, one of the reasons it had to be destroyed is because it was near the Holy Land. So the question becomes, if Sodom was destroyed, there's other cities that are very wicked. How come they're not destroyed? And we learned that one of the issues with Sodom is that because everybody in the city was wicked, every single person, there wasn't even one uh, really, truly, fully, truly, a uh, person who hadn't been corrupted. That's one of the reasons. The other reason is because it's proximity to the Holy Land. The Holy Land it's talking about here has a unique holiness. And people sometimes don't realize this, that there is a unique spiritual holiness to the Holy Land, the land of Israel, Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel is as much a part of the Torah as the Torah. And a lot of for this reason, many Jews who go to um, Eretz Israel to visit, maybe while they're someplace else, they're not, maybe they don't wear a kippah and tzitzit, maybe they don't eat kosher or so on. But when they get to the Holy Land, they do. But there's an, another phenomenon. It says, many people make pilgrimages to the land of Israel going to Yerushalayim, Hebron, and Safed. 
Whether one goes to visit or to settle, he must behave differently than when he is in other lands. In the land of Israel, one must be careful not to do anything wrong. The main reason for going to the land of Israel is to awaken the heart to repent. The main reason to go to Eretz Israel is for tshuva. To go there and to repent. That's why one of the most beautiful things to do when you visit Israel is to go to the Kotel, to, to the Western Wall in Davin. Our particular custom, I, I guess you call it, is a tradition. It's so beautiful that, uh, hey, welcome, Shem. Good to see you, Shem. Um, when we get to Israel, a lot of times the flight gets there at nighttime or, or in the evening. It's been our experience anyway. I don't know if all airlines are the same, but the one we flew did. We've been there several times. And so we go, uh, you know, we get our, we get our, everything scheduled or, or taken care of. We go and find our apartment, get everything, you know, together. And the first place we go is we go uh, to the Kotel to Davin Marif. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like that experience in the whole wide world. There's nothing like getting to Eretz Israel. And you're tired, you've been on a flight, you know, that maybe there's the, the jet lag and all that type of stuff. But you don't even care. You go right to the Kotel. It's dark. You know, it's nighttime. The Kotel is nice and lit up. You know, it's very nice and beautiful. And it's more quiet, you know, because most of the tourists are, you know, most of the shops are closed. And you're standing there in front of the Kotel davening. It's amazing. So anyway, the main reason to go to the land of Israel is to awaken the heart. By the way, everyone should go, and may Hashem give you all the provision that you should go. And because it's a mitzvah to go and visit, because it is a spiritual trip, Hashem will pay your way. Many people say, I don't know if I have the money. Just have the amuna, have the bitakon, and Hashem will make your way to go. Everyone should go. The main reason for going to Lent, but I, I want to say this. This is I'm telling you this, but this is also a little bit of a warning to you. Here, let's let's continue. I, I, I'll stop interrupting myself. It says in the land of Israel, one must be very careful not to do anything wrong. The main reason for going to the land of Israel is to awaken the heart to repent. The one has uh, then one has portion of the world to come, merely for walking in the land. There is an atonement just for going to the land. There is an atonement just to walk in the land. Do you understand? The minute you step off the plane and you walk in the Ben Gurion airport, there is an atonement that occurs. But if one goes there merely for vacation, <clears throat> to eat, to rest, this has no value in the future, in the, in the world to come. And if one does not have, behave properly, the land throws him out. Just as it vomited out the Canaanites who live there and defile the land through their evil deeds. Now, so therefore the warning is, is that when you go to Israel, before you go, you should spiritually prepare. While you're there, you should, you know... Um, be in an attitude of tshuva and an attitude of, of holiness. That's why I say go to the Kotel and Davin and and all of that. 
because there is something very unique about the land of Israel. It's not France. It's not Germany. It's not the United States. It's not Canada. It's not whatever, South South uh, uh, Africa or whatever. It, it's a holy special land. There's something interesting, and you can Google about this and read about it. It's very fascinating. I have experienced it in other people. It's called, they call, they refer to it as the Jerusalem Syndrome. It's a real thing that affects a, a great many people that they go there and they, they get a little crazy. And you can, again, I, we won't get into it to great detail, but you can read about it. It's, it's a literal thing. And I've experienced at least one couple who, I don't know, they went to Israel. Um, they happened to be with us on the trip and they just got crazy. They got anxious. They got agitated. Uh, they got weird. And then they left you know, they left before we did, and basically we, we kind of never saw them again. And uh, I don't know. I think sometimes maybe the cause of that is that they're, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just throwing out a, a, a maybe. Maybe it's because people aren't really sincere in their life. Maybe there's, there's sin in their life. They're just playing games. They're dressing up, so to speak, Um and to play the part, but they don't really mean it. And you've got to be careful about that when you visit Eretz Israel. I'm not trying to scare you. Don't misunderstand. But I, I just want to emphasize that walking in the Holy Land is just that. You're walking in the Holy Land. It's not like you're walking somewhere else. It says, um, looking uh, on to another insight here, <clears throat> Where do we get morning shakarit? Where does the morning shakarit come from? Morning shakarit comes from where Abraham stood before Hashem pleading for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where shakarit comes from. Why do we have shakarit and stand before Hashem as we do? And the idea is, is that we stand before him like Abraham stood before him. So to me, this is interesting. So on, for the one, one hand, we get our morning prayer service from the example of Avraham, um, who stood before Hashem. But I also think that we should take in consideration why it was that Abraham was standing before Hashem. And that is because he was davening for the salvation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not the salvation say, oh God, don't pay attention to what they do. But he was hoping and praying that they would make tshuva. So I think that uh, one of the ideas for us is that when we stand to pray, particularly in the morning, we should always have in mind that one of our missions in prayer is to pray for the salvation of our friends, neighbors, family. And you say, well, of course. But yeah, I know. Well, many of us think that. Many of us, many, many of us have that heart. But we don't necess- We don't always actively pray. Now, what is salvation? Well, we need to clearly define salvation because it's been very much mis- misdefined, if, you, if I could use that word. Salvation means coming into covenant. That's what salvation means. Coming into covenant means to come into Torah, true Judith. There's only one covenant. There is only one faith. There is only one religion. As I said in a in a drosh a couple of weeks ago, many the problem with most people is they think that there is some other option, like there's something outside of Torah, true Judaism. 
if you'll forgive me, Lapid Judaism. That is Judaism centered on Messiah, that people think there's something outside of that. There's some other option. You, if you don't like it, you can go and do something else and you'll be just fine. That's not true. So praying for people to, to come into covenant is meaning everybody coming into Yeshua's way of life. Because only he can define what's true, right? The um, episode with Lot and his daughters, this is another topic. Um, I, again, we could spend a long time on this, but I'm just going to cover it, is that um, to avoid drunkenness. Lot's issue with his daughters um, is that, you know, he, he was a wine bibber, as they say. Uh, the, the caves, some, some people asked, um, where did he get the wine? What, did he pack a suitcase with wine when they were fleeing? No. The caves that they went to were actually the caves where the Sodomites and Gomorrahites stored their wine, which is probably why Lot went there, because he was probably a drinker. He knew, hey, there's a stash of wine. Let's go there. That's why he went there, most likely instead of Zoar. So it says here, God loves three people. This is from Ma'am Loez. God loves three people. He who never loses his temper. He who never gets drunk. And he who overcomes his natural inclination and forgives others the wrong that they committed against him. That's the three people. One who never loses their temper. One who never gets drunk. And one who forgives other people's offenses that they committed against him. Now, the Torah is not against alcohol. The Torah is not against wine. It's not against strong drink. Not at all. So we want to make that distinction. We're just not allowed to get drunk. And drunkenness is a very uh, negative uh, trait. It says, nothing causes man to sin more than wine, it says here. Of course, it's talking about too much wine. Because we have wine for Kiddush, we have wine for Habdallah, we have wine for uh, the marriage canopy. Of course, you don't have to drink wine if for some reason you don't want to, you have an aversion to it, whatever the reason is, you can always have kosher grape juice. It should be kosher grape juice, though, especially if you're going to use it for a holy thing like Kiddush or Habdallah, it should be Kadim or some other kosher brand. But the point being is that too, whenever it says wine here, it's talking about too much wine. It says, if a person is temperate in drinking wine, it indicates that he is an intelligent as one of the 70 elders who served on the Sanhedrin. That's the Supreme Court in Yushalayim. Why? It says, the Hebrew word for wine is yain, which has a numerical value of 70. Thus, if you are temperate in drinking wine, it's because you, you are intelligent and wise like one of the 70. Similarly, the numerical value of the Hebrew word for secret, sod, is 70. This indicates that when one drinks wine, he, re he reveals all his secrets. If one drinks wine temporally, or temporally, sleek up, however, <coughs> it, can, it can bring benefit and shop, sharpens one's wit. In other words, if you drink wine, but you're not somebody who drinks wine to indulgence, then it can be beneficial. So it goes on to say that even on Purim, we are not allowed to overindulge in drink. So not, not allowed to get drunk even on Purim, which is a common misconception. Why did Abraham move? It's another insight. We're going to flash through some insights here, trying to cover some ground. 
Why did Abraham move? It says here, why did he move from where he was to the Negev? It says that the great catastrophe that occurred in the cities of the plain discouraged wayfarers from passing through Hebron. Since Abraham could not exist without guests, he moved to another city where he would be able to extend hospitality to strangers. In other words, Abraham moved because he was driven by his mission. He said it's not enough for somebody to do good deeds only when the opportunity arises. It says, if a person wants to be a cut above the average, he should actively seek out how to do good. We learn here, Ma'am Loez writes, we learn here from Abraham that one must actively pursue good deeds. When people stopped passing by his house, it would have been no sin for him to eat without guests, but he moved from that city and sought out a place along the trade route so that he would be able to extend hospitality to travelers. He felt very bad when he saw his storehouses full of food without any guest to whom to serve it. Abraham especially sought out a place where it was poor, where it was dry, was desolate. Desolate not just of vegetation, poor not just uh, lacking financial prosperity, but desolate and poor and dry with respect to spirituality. Why? He says, it says here in Mamluez, it was a land that was dry both physically and spiritually because people uh, would not do good deeds or try to help others. Therefore, Abraham deliberately chose such a place so that he would be able to teach the people to be charitable. So this, this is very interesting insight because... Uh, this teaches us that sometimes Hashem has us in that place of desolation, if you will. He has you there because you are intended to bring light to that place. Some people say, well, I'm in wherever I am, and there's there's not a kosher restaurant within a, a thousand miles, and there's not a kosher store here. The best thing I can do is get gefilte fish, which I like gefilte fish, and, uh, you know, whatever, matzah, that's all I've got that's kosher, and I, I really have to order my kosher meat from far away or whatever. Why am I here? Oh, God, why did you not put me someplace else? And some people will move to uh, to Fort Worth to be with us, and that's fantastic. Some people will move to Tulsa to be with our uh, congregation there in Tulsa. Some people might move to Kansas City to be with our Lipid House there, or maybe New York or Boston or whatever, but others can't move. So the question becomes, why am I here? And Shem says, I, I have you there because I need, I need a lapid in that area. I need a torch to show people what's going on. What they need to do to uh, draw close to Hashem. Now, going forward here, in the couple minutes we have remaining, I want to share a couple of insights here. Isaac is born to uh, Sarah. I mentioned that there's a connection here to the virgin birth, which the virgin birth is not only valid, it's critical. But I have a whole video on that, so I won't get into that. No virgin birth, no salvation. Let me just say that. It's 100% true. You take that to the bank. It says, Hashem remembered Sarah. Ve'adonai pakach et Sarah. This expression implies an act of providence going beyond the laws of nature. According to the Zohar, Sarah giving birth indeed appeared to be a supernatural phenomenon. In the Kehotumash, it says, 
God remembered Sarah. She became pregnant and God did for Sarah as he had spoken. The two expressions God remembered and God did allude to two distinct stages. God remembered Sarah means that he created the energy in the super in the spiritual world that would enable her to bear a child. God did for Sarah means that he made use of an even loftier spiritual energy in order to manifest the first type of energy in the physical world. Whoa. In other words, Sarah's birth of Isaac was a supernatural. And B, the way that it be, was brought about is that God used, according here to rabbinic sources, a, a spiritual energy that had been created in the spiritual world and an even greater spiritual energy that caused that spiritual energy to be made manifest in the physical world. In other words, a spiritual energy came upon Sarah to enable her to give birth to Isaac, the son of promise, who God performed another miracle, it says here in the sources, that... God caused Isaac to be the spitting image of Abraham, which means that a spiritual energy caused Sarah to supernaturally give birth to the image of Abraham, and Abraham sacrificed his image on the altar. End of our Aliyah today. We will dive into some more of these thoughts tomorrow. But until then, I want you to have a blessed, wonderful, and beautiful day. It has been a joy to be with you. So many wonderful people who have uh, joined us today. May you share this video, like it, love it, share some more of it with your friends and family. And with God's help, we'll see everybody tomorrow for prep day for the sixth and seventh reading of the uh, Aleah. Until then, be blessed.